Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Project Egg podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs and startups to take their dreams and turn those dreams into reality. Today, we have an incredibly special guest. We have the fantastic Dave Lucas from Ohio. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm doing great. It's great to be on with you. It's great to be on with all of you in the audience as well. Well, Dave, I really appreciate your time, and I appreciate you coming on to the show today to to uh, to share with us. So let's jump right in, Dave. The first question that I have for you is, what is your story? We have enough time for that. Um, so uh, <laughs> now my story is, uh, it's like probably a lot of other stories that people tell. Um, yeah, I, I actually kind of grew up uh, in, in a weird kind of setup. So like half my family, once I was all entrepreneurs, really successful from everything to the restaurant music to the, the music business, not even college degrees or anything like that, and they've done that. And the other side of the family actually grew up uh, dirt poor, literally in squalor, where they used to like sell cookies on the side of the street to make ends meet as kids and stuff to help the family and everything. So it's kind of an interesting, um, you know, it's both my parents. So it's kind of interesting seeing those sides growing up. Now, cool thing is everybody made it out and was really, really successful. And so by the time I was born, you know, a lot of that had happened already. So I had that to kind of model after and learn from. And so I actually started as an entrepreneur at a very young age. I started my first business when I was five years old. Uh, no joke. Um, wow. I had this crazy idea to sell American flags to all the neighbors. And so my mom and I made uh, American flags. And, you know, when five years old, you're hitting every house on the street, you know, five, ten cents for an American flag. Everybody's buying. It's a no brand. It's the easiest sale in the world. You know, I'm going up down the street, I get to the final, final house in the street. And it's always that house, right? That's like kind of dark. The shades are always down. You don't see the people a lot, you know. So I mustered up the confidence to go up to the door and uh, do that uh, pitch that I had perfected so well over the last uh, 20 houses or so. And um, I said, hey, you know, I'm doing my thing, American flags. And nice little old lady, you know, sitting at the door, you know, lets me do my whole thing, pauses for what seems like an eternity, probably about five seconds, and says, uh, no, thank you, honey, we're Canadian. So, I'm doing <laughs> so that was my first stab at rejection, but all is not lost as entrepreneurs learn, okay, if that won't work, what will work? And, uh, you know, then we went, went back and we made our uh, Canadian flight to the back and so So, um, so that started my entrepreneur journey and then all through, you know, school and, and, and even high school had my own businesses, paid for college uh, with my own businesses, came out, started a few businesses, failed miserably, um, learned some of the best lessons I've ever learned in my life as I did that, went to the corporate world for a little while, um, for about six years to kind of really learn that side of things, learn how to build systems and, and all that sort of thing that you need to do to build a business, all while investing in other businesses at the same time. Along that way, I've met um, the, my business partner in my largest business, Grass Technologies, um, and uh, that was about 15 years ago or so now. And uh, you know, really just got together. We started putting the uh, the business around the idea. I took it from there, and you know, here we are as we call it a almost 20 year overnight success. Um, you know, eight five thousand multi time winner, doing business in 100 countries, and and all that stuff. So that's the that's the fastest way that I could tell it. Um, giving you a little bit of that. That's awesome. So I want to dig a little bit deeper uh, back into your history. And I, I want to know that contrast in your family of 
half of the half of the folks being successful entrepreneurs and half of them being, uh, I believe you said, dirt poor. Um, what was that like for you? And what did that teach you? What, what values did that instill in you that have now uh, contributed to the person that you are today? Well, and I, you know, I didn't say it, but it kind of like that's how I started out too. That's how we started out. My parents, when I was born, had a combined income of about ten thousand dollars a year, and I was uh, literally the the apartment that they could afford. I mean, there were there were hookers out front of it. You know what I mean? So, um, so I it was interesting to, to see. It was funny because my dad grew up. Uh, he was in you know the 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 family was poor. They were Hungarian immigrants. They came over. Um, and, uh, my grandmother sold Avon. My grandfather, uh, worked at, uh, the, the auto plant, Ford plant, you know? Um, and so, you know, they had a crazy childhood. We could write a whole book about just all the things that happened to them. And, you know, there were five kids and, you know, all with their own sets of stories and all that type of stuff. So growing up, I got to, you know, I, I got to see that at the end after they, you know, had, all had made it out, you know, they'd gone their ways, you know, some, Successful as entrepreneurs, some like my father ended up being successful in the corporate world and others. So, but I, but they always had that that humbleness and that that roots of literally, you know, the priest coming to the house with with food to help them out. You know, uh, my dad, you know, stealing bread from the local bread factory that you know off the lines that he could grab when he was like eight or ten. You know, or going and, and shooting rabbits and stuff to help put food on the table. You know, things like that, right? That's their that's their their roots of where they came from. So they they really have that humility side, which is really cool. It really kept grounded for all the success that they had, because most of them are millionaires. Um, and then the um, the other side, it, you know, was was different in the fact that they they had they didn't grow up that way, but they had to equally create and uh, build their businesses and everything else. So that was my mom's side of the family. And uh, my grandfather had done that. He actually came back from the war, World War II and had started a uh, jukebox business and then uh, had success with that, went into the restaurant business. And uh, he made one bad decision, though, one really bad decision that um, if that had happened, I probably wouldn't be here talking with you today. He owned a number of restaurants. At one time, he owned, I think, 30 or 40 restaurants, of course, across Northeast Ohio. And McDonald's approached him when they wanted to enter the market and offered him the rights to McDonald's in Northern Ohio. And he turned it down because he didn't think a, a five-cent hamburger would sell. Oh, uh, no. So, <laughs> um, but he, you know, he ended up doing really, really well. He obviously, by the time I was born, he had sold out all of his restaurants and everything and, and retired and stuff. Um, and his son, my uncle, ended up uh, kind of doing almost the same thing in the music business, uh, which was really interesting. Um, kind of growing up, you know, he ended up uh, for a time uh, running all of marketing for Gibson Guitar and everything. So I got to actually meet like Aerosmith and, you know, I've got pictures on my wall up there of that and stuff through that. So, you know, it was, it was just interesting to see the weed, the, the, the interesting entrepreneurial weed that comes through and how people get to where they're at and everything. And then kind of take from that those lessons and learn that and put that into effect in your life and figure it out for yourself because it never happens the same way twice. You know, what worked for them doesn't work today. It's a totally different world. Um, but the values and everything they instilled, you know, across the board really do work and really serve as a grounding place for where I built things off of today. So it's interesting that you, that you talk about values because that was actually my next question is – 
how if you don't have somebody successful in your life like like that like like you had so much good inspiration so many people who yeah. did eventually achieve success how do you go about and i guess get those core values how do you go how do you seek that and and how do you shed any negative values that that you may have had with your upbringing get these new values and how do you know which ones are good and bad everything starts up here in your head because it, and here's the thing no baby is born with their life predetermined inside. it's not like you come out of the womb and they say hey beautiful baby too bad i'll never make more than thirty-five thousand. it doesn't work like that right the 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 reality is is that we are taught and conditioned to be who we are and the sources of that include all kinds of things right parents friends media culture school religion you know all those influences everything you know shape us from the time we're born to who we are the thing that most people never ever um have happened to them in their life is the awareness that they actually have control whether to accept that or not and that's one of the biggest probably epiphanies that anybody can have some people do it naturally some people like me do it through self-education and figure it out but we have two minds. We've got the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind being the most powerful part of our brain that runs us without even knowing it. And that's where all this stuff is stored. And so 99% of the time, we react emotionally to things, right? We just react, or right? We don't think. You don't, I mean, how often do you think to drive a car, throw a ball, just what you say, how it comes out, all that stuff, you don't think. That's all preconditioned responses to the situations and things that happen to you in your life. And so the, the, the ultimate power is when you learn to control that and learn how to recognize it in the moment and be able to change what you want to do and say and what you believe and make that make that work for you, right? So the ability, I call it your inner coach, to have the inner coach that actually stops you where you can, and I, and I call the process of doing a stop, ask, and choose, where you stop yourself in the moment, you ask yourself, is this the reaction or the response that I want to have? And then you choose whether to go forward or not. So, for example, you know, you don't have to live by your past. You don't have to live by the fact that, well, these bad things all happen to me, so I have to be this way. It doesn't have to happen like that. It doesn't have to be like that. Was, you know, like I said, I, you know, when I was born, you know, I had hookers outside my house, on my a little apartment, right? You know, I could have I stayed in that, that world, you know. Like, my parents didn't make it successful until I was, you know, way off in, in, in almost a college and stuff, you know. So that's when they found a lot of their success, right? So, you know, I grew up in that that respect where I had to figure it out and find a way to make a way, right? So I could have accepted things um, or I could have that awareness. And awareness is the catalyst to change in anything to where, hey, I can choose to do this. I can choose my path. And I a lot of times I'll do this question when I speak to people or speak in front of groups about this where I'll ask this question. What's a lot of money to you? Because money is a very emotional subject, right? But if you think your first answer, what's a lot of money, write that down. Don't just, whatever, your, what pops in your head, write that down. When I say, six, what is six figures? When you hear six figures, write that down. The majority of the time, you know, asking a lot of money, I'll get between 100000 and 500000 When I say six figures, I'll get 100000 My next question is, why isn't it 999999 why isn't it 50 million? You know, that's right. That's because their level is set there. That's where their level is set. That's their threshold. And chances are 
in most cases, that's either what they're making or the top end of what they're going to be making, whatever those numbers are. And so once you realize that, you can change that threshold, you can change your whole world and everything else. So that's probably the most important thing to establish values for yourself because you're doing it from true choice and not doing it being run from something in the past. That is incredibly powerful. So what I'm hearing is we don't have to just accept what values that we've been brought up with. We can manually change our values and and choose what we want as far as the standard of living that, that we deserve. That, yeah. Is that so, kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, and, and, don't, and don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great values that you get through those influences growing up. The key is choosing whether to keep them or not. Right? When you choose it, it's you doing it. We're, we are a product of our choices in life and, and all that we do. Right? So why shouldn't we be choosing our values? Why shouldn't we be choosing the way we think? Why shouldn't we be choosing how we uh, approach our day, approach our life, approach our relationships, our business, everything else? Why should we just react? Right? Isn't it a lot better when you are deliberate about things in your life? When you're deliberate about stuff, you're that much more successful at it. So it's the same kind of thing. It's just, you know, putting it in that context of, teaching your mind and reframing things in your mind to be that and what you want it to be. So it's not an easy task. It's a lifelong process. You know, I still react to things. You know, that's my wife. Um, you know, <laughs> um, so it's, you know, you're never going to be perfect at it, but you can do a lot of little things in your life. Like for example, looking at right over there is my attitude board. So right in front of me in my office here, every morning I come in, it seems like a really cheesy thing, right? I've been doing this for over a decade. But I got a board that says, what attitude do you choose to have today? And it says, great, fair, or poor, right? So every morning I come in, I have to circle one of those, right? Not once in 10 years have I ever circled fair or poor, right? So when things aren't going right, if something you know doesn't happen, I start to feel that energy, that bubbling up inside, I'm looking at it, and it I chose to have a great attitude today. So you know what? I chose to have a great attitude today. I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm not going to let this affect me. We're going to move on and do that sort of thing. So you need little reminders and things like that to keep you, um, you know, keep you sane, if you will, and keep you going because um, the subconscious is a really powerful thing. That's huge. And, you know, I think the fact that we're really diving into this from your experiences and, and you're actually giving us a, you know, a, a real actionable item that we can do. I think that's hugely powerful to really drive home that point. So let's move a little further into your history. Uh, let's talk about that time when you started your first business at five years old, selling those flags. So what really inspired you to take that leap and start your own business? I mean, it may have just seemed like something fun to do, but but that's a huge leap of, of really taking control and, and putting your destiny into your own hands. So what was that inspiration for getting started? You know, uh, I don't know if I can pinpoint the inspiration at five. You know, if I thought hard enough on it, I probably could, but we did take too long. I, you know, I think at, at that age, you know, I, I've always had a lot of high energy, right? That's a natural thing for me. People have natural things. You got to embrace your natural things too, right? So I've always, you know, always been on the go, always high energy, always looking for things to do. And I think what happened is that I said I wanted something. And my mom said I'd have to find a way to get it. Like she wasn't just going to give me the money for it or just get it for me. And so that's how I started thinking about, you know, uh, okay, how can I get this? And that's a powerful thing. And I think that's a, that's something that's a great lesson for whether you're an entrepreneur or anything. A lot of times people, like a lot of parents will just say no, right? I don't even know if my mom realized what she was doing here, but 
a lot of parents will just say, no, you can't have it or you can't, no, right? That's a very debilitating statement. Even when you say it to yourself, it stops your brain from thinking right now. You're done, move on to the next thing, right? But when you're faced with a challenge or an outcome that seems like it can't be done or that you would almost say no, if you ask, well, how could I do this? How could I make this a reality? That starts to create a part of your brain. It starts you thinking. It starts you saying, asking yourself, well, what can I do? How could I make this happen? Is there a way, right? And that feeds to will. And that's where you get that phrase where there's a will, there's a way and all that stuff. So then you start that, that process of figuring out. So, you know, for me, it was, you know, really, I wanted something. I can't even remember what it was, but it was then figuring out how to get it. So, hey, I can sell American flags and take my little red wagon up and down the street and, you know, do that, right? So that's, that's you know, the impetus for, you know, that, that time of my life. That's great. And, and I really do think that, like you were saying, the subconscious mind is, is a very powerful thing because that, that trigger of, hey, I want something, you know, uh, and, and I can imagine as a five-year-old, you're like, I want this thing and I will settle for nothing else besides this one thing. Then that gets imprinted, if you will, into that subconscious. And then we can figure out how to, how to get it. Um, right. And I think that's hugely, hugely powerful. And for, for everybody that's listening, I actually, I highly encourage you to go back and listen uh, to, to these, to these things that Dave has been saying, because these are a lot of very, very powerful techniques that at the surface may seem like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But if you go back and, and listen to it a couple of times and really implement those things, they're very powerful. They're very powerful. So um, Dave, let, let's move along a little bit to your high school years. Um, now you talked about how you started a few businesses and you're making money and, and you paid for your own uh, education, which is incredible. I mean, that is an incredible feat. So can you talk about what businesses you were running and how did you do it at such a young age? Well, so in high school, I did all sorts of things, right? So, you know, you name it, it you know, I played sports and stuff. So it was mainly like summer and then like winter gigs because I, I ran track and played football. But um, the, uh, you name it, I did it. Um, so everything from bricklaying to uh, roofing, all that type of stuff, loading trucks at uh, FedEx to, um, you know, even uh, selling TVs at a company that doesn't exist anymore called Service Merchandise. Um, and, and Burger King and, and everything in between, right? Because again, from the time that I could work, I, you know, my parents used to say, you have really expensive taste. You're going to work a lot. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, so I was always looking again for the how to make it happen. And so I would do these jobs, but then I also uh, started, uh, like a lot of kids do, I started a lawn business on the side that actually took off and got pretty big, right? So, that's, you know, that was really the business throughout most of high school to the end of high school where I found direct sales. So if you're everybody's familiar with direct sales, um, there's everything from the network marketing side of it to just selling things direct. Um, I actually uh, found Cutco Knives, which a lot of people have been through and, and done. It's a great, great program. I recommend for any high school kid, if you're listening, if you want to learn to sell, go with, the, go with those guys, try it out. Even if you do it for a few months, you will have a great, great skill set when it comes to selling because they have a wonderful way of teaching people and everything else. Um, I was fortunate. I, I had um, a lot of good connections at that time, friends, family, people like that, that you know um, really wanted to share in the goal of helping me be successful. So I was actually, um, it was funny, the office that I was in, the legend of Cutco, 
John Rulin, who a lot of people might know because he wrote a book called Giftology, which is a really popular book, and he's been on all kinds of stuff these days. Um, was in, he, he was the first guy ever to sell $10,000 in his first 10 days. I was the second. So John and I have this kind of kinship, you know, over the years <laughs> that we had around that, you know, kind of being the two guys that did that. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say it kind of went from there, and then I just kept, I, I kept doing that. In college, it was flexible. It was something that I could do that allowed me to, um, you know, I played sports in college as well, too. I ended up playing football in college as well, so that helped me pay for some school and everything else. So um, so I used uh, the Cutco selling on weekends and the other time, summer and all that, to kind of fill the gaps. Um, and then I did other odd things, too. I, you know, you'd probably find a picture of me out there dressed like a blues blues or something like that. Cause I used to do kids' birthday parties and stuff like that. <laughs> like, I paid yeah. 25 bucks an hour to do it as a college kid, you know? So take the job as you want. So it was just one of those things where, you know, find a way, make a way. do the things you need to do. That's incredible. So as you were going through high school and college, how did your identity develop? over that time? Did it change from when you were a youngster? Did How did it develop over that span of time? There's some core things that I think were always there, being, you know, being driven, being, you know, having that kind of, uh, you know, that, that asking how and figuring things out and not taking no for an answer, sometimes to my detriment. Um, that, that was, that, that stayed. Um, where, um, where I really had to make a leap uh, going from college to the real business world was learning how to lead. That's where I really had to make the leap. Now, I've, I've been a, a star player. I've been a captain on teams and stuff like that. But that's a lot different than leading in the real world, leading in a workspace, leading an organization, a group of people, inspiring them, all that sort of thing. In fact, when I first got tested – when I went into the corporate world, uh, into sales, I got, uh, I was my first year in sales in the corporate world. Um, my first two years, I, I was extremely successful. So I was rookie of the year in a fortune 500 and then representative of the year, the next year. Right. And what that did is that, that uh, obviously when you do that, that starts to fast track you into other things. Everyone wants to know what you're doing, how you're succeeding. They want to teach it. Uh, all that stuff starts to happen. So they started testing me to get like a baseline for the type of reps that they wanted to hire. Right. And, on all the, like all the different tests that they have out there, you know, the different, you know, uh, all your wonder licks and all the different ones that they have. Um, SQQ gold. I remember all those. I tested like zero on empathy, like zero <laughs> because <laughs> I was the guy that just, I look, you know, I, I smashed my quota every month. I was a hundred miles an hour, you know, and you know, I would, I would get the job done. And I didn't, you know, I didn't want to, I, I didn't have to rely on a bunch of people to do it. You know, it was me. I was making it happen. That works well for an individual sales rep. But the minute that you start to lead people, what happened to me, and it was a, it was a great lesson that I had to learn that I think my uh, vice president knew I had to go through and they were willing to make that investment that they, which was not an investment. It was really a loss for me to go through it because the first time they put me in a management role, I blew up the whole team and had almost all of them quit on me because I tried to make them all meet. Right. Right. You know, like they call that being a pace setter when it comes to a uh, management term. And so I had to take that step back and I'm, you know, having lunch with the vice president and after it all happened and they're like, so what'd you learn? I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I learned that not everybody is me. And they're like, you know, so we had the whole conversation about, 
what it means to truly lead people and to help make them the best in who they are with the skills they have and the way they do things instead of making it your or trying to impress yourself or your skill set upon them. So it's a, it's a tough lesson to learn, but that, you know, really made a difference. And, you know, we ultimately turn that same year, we turned that office around, we did about 25%, you know, above the previous year. And then it went from there. And then I kind of became a turnaround expert as well as training a lot of the, uh, the rookie sales reps. The company was Paychex. So it's a big payroll HR company. So I did for about six or seven years, but on the side, I was investing, right? So I was investing in, right, when you're successful like that, you have excess cash, you know, all that stuff. So I was investing in real estate. I was um, investing in other businesses. Uh, and that's where I met Eric Mueller, my partner in Gas Technologies, who had kind of the software and everything initially built, was looking for a way to go to market, was the tech genius guy, right? But not so much the sales genius guy, right? And that's what he was looking for. So when we came together, we kind of had a nice yin and yang that's really done well with each other over the years because we balance each other out really well um, from the sides of the business, right? And that's one of the reasons I think it's been as successful as it has. And so that's kind of where that came from. And after about six, seven years of kind of really learning and understanding, you know, I created my four rules of, of leading and everything with that, put them to work, show that they worked and everything else. Uh, Grass had gotten to a point where it, it it could sustain having me on, so I went and you know took about a sixty percent pay cut to do it, but made that leap and, and we you know took off from there and then looked back. So yeah. So this big business that you're talking about, kind of the you know the the behemoth, if you will, um, for for those uh, in the audience who are not entirely familiar with it, can can you um, you know describe it and, and talk about it and and, you know, really talk about the origins of it and, and how you grew it. Yeah, so Grass Technologies, uh, for everybody, we are uh, basically, easiest way to explain is we're a data and software company um, and management company in the travel space. That's our vertical. So what we do is we, we, we manage data. Think of us like data plumbers. That's one way to think about it is we get data from all these sources and make sense of it all for our clients. And then as well as visualize that data, right? You know, showcase it for the different needs they have. Travel is a really weird industry. It's built on systems from the 1960s, um, and uh, there are no standards for anything when it comes to data. So you need kind of you know that group that sits as the middleman and can make sense of it all and do what you need to do with it. And that's what we do. Um, we have a lot. We have about 20 plus products in our product line, but you know that's that's at the core of what we do. And so it, it actually started my my business partner Eric Mueller had founded the company actually in 1996 as an IP holding company. He had been in the travel industry for about, he's been in fashion over 30 years now, but he'd been in um, the industry over a decade at that point, had done a lot of really great things, and we had a pretty, you know, pretty astounding name in the space from a tech space. He actually built the first reporting system, graphic reporting system, believe it or not. There was a time where there weren't visual reporting systems that you got could see and, and see graphs and all that stuff. He built that for travel. And so um, when he went out on his own, he started a couple companies, one of them being Grass, another one being uh, more of your traditional IT firm and, and software development shop. Did a lot of business in those, uh, but Grass was always sitting there, right? Grass, that was always kind of his baby that he wanted to come back to. And so when we connected up, um, he was at, he was ready for that. He was ready to, to really make that go. And so we sat down, we looked at, you know, what really needed to be done to make the products in it really viable, how we would sell them, how we'd approach the market, reached out to who our first clients would be, did some market research to make sure we had some people to sell to, you know, and then he, he and I just started, 
that's how it, that's how it started. Me on the weekends and evenings, and him, you know, and, and all the extra time that he could. That's how it got going, and um, it grew, it grew, you know, really fast. You know, within, you know, we, we did a ten year stint where we grew over fifty percent a year. You know, wow. every single year, um, and kept going. And uh, you know, nowadays we've got you know business in over a hundred countries, and um, you know some of the largest corporations in the world. You know, a lot of the Fortune five hundreds are our clients, and um, you know, 50 employees across the world in different areas and stuff and multiple offices and all that stuff. So it's, it's been an amazing ride and we've, you know, been fortunate to find some amazing people that were the right people that we could put in the right place at the right time along the way. We've had really good luck with that. I'm going to knock on wood because I, you know, I don't know, I don't know if there's any strategy to that. We just, you know, we, we happen to be able to do that well as we've grown, you know, and part of that's, I think, Really, if there's a strategy, it's being honest, open, having really great integrity, and and not bullshitting people. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. You know, when people apply for grass, they tell us it's probably the hardest place you ever work. <laughs> it is. <laughs> we, we live in a crazy world, you know, and you can think about it. An industry with no standards for anything. We service over 200,000 corporations through our footprint, and their businesses are changing every day. It's rapid fire. It never ends. You know, there's always something new, always something going on. We probably get 80 support tickets a day for new stuff that we got to adapt to or do. So, you know, it's in some ways it's a reactive world, right? Um, I call it managed chaos. But, you know, it, the right people thrive in that, and we've been able to find them. And that's what's really set us apart, and that's why there's only a few companies that do what we do. That's incredible. So alongside of Grass, what have you been doing? What has your life look like and, and how has uh, you know how has your time been invested in, in other areas yeah so I do have some other businesses uh, as I mentioned uh, I started investing in real estate a long time ago so I still do I still buy and hold properties right a lot of resort property type stuff as well as uh, you know managed condo type facilities things like that for the more of the single things I'm a buy and hold guy right so I've been doing that for a long time so we've got a holding company for that um, along the way too um, I, um, I had uh, my grandfather, who I mentioned, who had retired, uh, went on to do very well in the stock market. So I grew up like every day, you know, if I was at my grandfather's house, stock channel going by and everything. So I had an interest in the stock side, right? Uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but I, you know, at, at a young age, had a, had a lot of excess cash. And it's like, what do you do with that? You know, how do you turn that into more money and create it so that it can do good things and you can use it to invest in, in ideas and people and all those other stuff. So... I created a system. It took uh, about three years to create. Um, it's called 12 Minute Trading. So 12minutetrading.com, people can find it. But it's a it's a system to where I don't have to babysit things. I basically can set up a trade and in, in less than 12 minutes a day manage things because I was working 80 hours a week on the go. I didn't want to have to babysit and all that stuff. It's a system that self-defends itself and creates about a 16, 17% return a year on your money consistently. And we've done that for... Uh, the newsletter and the stuff that we have out on has been out for about eight years now. And we track you know, every trade and all that stuff. So so that was kind of thing that just kind of came about. Um, in that three-year journey, I lost about $100,000 figuring out how to do this. So anybody who's gone down that, that route of trading before and trying to do it, you know, you're going to take your lumps to learn things. So I call it my, my investing education, um, which was well, well worth it. I made that back, you know, multi, multi-fold now. But um, so we've got actually students all over the world that are, you know, learn from that strategy. And it's really cool. Um, about five years ago, we, um, we adopted our daughter, Hannah, from China. 
And um, coming back with her, you know, going back to that same conversation about conditioning, right? So I'm hyper aware to that. So at 18 months old, you know, I have this child who has had conditioning that I I can't fathom at this point. You know, she was she was found underneath the bridge at four weeks old in China. She grew up in an orphanage. Um, and so, but I'm hypersensitive to the minute that she's in my arms, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, conditioning her, I'm shaping her at least for now until she hopefully someday, you know, has that realization that she can choose. And so, um, I found myself in all these teachable moments. I, I was really fortunate in my younger days to go study with people like Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy, you know, and actually wrote the cover board for my book and, and, uh, people like, uh, Tony Robbins and all these you know, even a couple of billionaires I got a chance to sit with for a couple hour lunches and pick their brain type stuff. So I learned all this stuff. That's actually how my book came about. And um, it was amazing though with this little one, all these teachable moments, all these things were bubbling up that I'd forgotten that I'd learned through the past from people like this. And I'm going, holy crap, how much of this stuff have I forgotten over the years? You know, what, what, am, I, what am I missing, you know? Um, right. And I said, there's gotta be a way to immortalize this stuff so that Hannah, you know, can learn from her daddy and his misfit friends long after we're dead and gone. Really, that's how it came about. And as yeah. I thought about it, you know, every entrepreneur is a misfit. You know, we all have a, <laughs> yeah. a weird, you know, just quirkiness to us in some way, shape, or form, right? Um, and that's what makes us entrepreneurs. And yeah, I'd say everybody's a misfit in some way. Everybody's got their own style, their own uniqueness. And so um, what I really realized about entrepreneurs, now that I've done a, you know, the Misfit Entrepreneur podcast and we've done you know, tons of interviews, it's really helped put it into focus. But what I've realized is that it's not usually one big thing that people do that sets them apart. It's a lot of little things that they do just a little bit better. You know, a little tweak here, a little tweak there adds up to a huge advantage. Think about like a race in the Olympics. It's one with a hundredth of a second. The things that have to go into making you faster by one one hundredth of a second arm placement, hand position, how you, your first step, how you start, all that stuff, you know, it equates to that, to the winning time, right? And it's the same thing in entrepreneurship. And so that's what the, that's what the show is about. I started the Misfit Entrepreneur as this way to find these unique things and tease them out of high performing entrepreneurs, the highest performing in the fields around the world. So I could leave it behind for Hannah so that she could learn from it and use it in her life someday. And, and, and you know, anybody else that wanted to find it. And, so I didn't know if anybody else would listen, and we released it about 18 months ago, and you know here we are, we do four episodes a month, and we're doing you know, a little over 50,000 downloads a month in 80 countries, right? So I, I just, you know, it was a side project that turned into now it's a it's a, it's a real business, you know. So um, kind of one of those ones you, you fall into. That's incredible, and you know I was doing some research before the interview, and there was a a tagline, if you will, that really stood out. And it was unleash your inner misfit. So, right. can, can you talk a little bit about how that tagline really came into be, and then how we as entrepreneurs can act on it? How can we unleash yeah. our inner misfit? Well, and that's the point of the show. I ask every guest after I do the introduction, "Are you ready to unleash your inner misfit?" Because the things they take for granted, the things that they do just naturally that you know set them apart and everything, they don't really. Not a lot of times they don't take the time to think about it, right? And that's the inner misfit. That's those unique things. Like, yeah, I believe one great episode of, of a show like this one or anyone like that can change someone's life, right? Even if it's one person, it, it can change their life. It can give them an idea. It can spur something. It can confirm something for them. It can, you know, make them think in a different way and, and put them on a totally different trajectory, right? 
And so that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that those those few things that I can get out of this entrepreneur, their inner misfit, that somebody can hear and learn and take and maybe put into their life or um, you know, spurs an idea for them or makes them think differently, right? And so that's that's what that came from. So every one of you have your own inner misfit, and you can unleash it any way that you want to. But think about it. Just think about what are those little things that I do, just maybe a little bit better that set me apart. You know, how do I make sure I'm doing those? all the time. And I've come up with this formula for this and I use it in business and everything else. And I'm, I'm actually going to be putting a book out about it um, later this year. And it's the DCP formula is what I call it. Discipline, consistency, and persistence. Now that sounds like duh, things that you have to have to have uh, be successful in a business or anything. When you think about it, discipline means doing the things that you know you need to do even when you don't want to do them, right? Now, the next one is consistency, being consistent, doing that day in and day out. So you can be disciplined for one day. That's not going to do any good. you got to be there, and you got to show up day in, day out, over and over and over and over again, right? That's the consistency part and makes it a discipline. you got to have both. But even if you're disciplined and consistent, if you aren't willing to pers persevere, if you aren't willing to bust through the walls that you're going to run into, and aren't willing to have the will to do it, you're going to stagnate. You're going to be disciplined and consistent, but you're going to plateau. You see this a lot of times with companies and stuff. They reach a certain level and they plateau because they hit that barrier. They're not willing to innovate further. They're not willing to change to meet, especially in today's age, the changes that are happening economically, technologically. I mean, ask Kodak about that, um, you know, and, and others, right? So, yeah. it, you know, so you got to have all three to really be successful. So when I when I work with somebody or, or something like that, the first thing I go to is, okay, let's look at the different areas of your business or whatever the venture is. Where are we disciplined? Where are we consistent? You know, where are we, where's our, where are we have to persist through? Where are we not disciplined, right? Where do we need to be more consistent? Because it is a lot of times that simple. Just up in your game in, the, in, in a couple areas in a business can literally double your business if you do it right. So those three things are, are super important when it comes to just running your life and everything too. So that that's a big thing that you know I found when it comes to really bettering your business and yourself. So it seems like you have a lot of things going on. It seems like you have grass going on and you have the misfit entrepreneur and you have your 12 minute trading system. And, and I'm sure there are, you know, your real estate investments and, and all these different things. But what is your biggest focus right now? Well, my biggest focus is still grass. That's where I spend the most of my time. Okay, albeit every year it gets a little bit less and less. I've always said to Eric, the day that we're not needed is the best day of our lives. Right? And that's what you're working for. Right? And the business can run entirely without you, even not having to ask you a question or anything, you know, then you, you're really in a good spot. And because you build it, it continuously grow and scale and everything. It doesn't need you to make it go. And, and we're actually getting a lot closer to that, a lot faster than I, I thought. So it's pretty exciting. So, um, you know, outside of that, though, um, the trading is designed to spend less than 12 minutes a day and maybe uh, 45 minutes to an hour on the weekends. And that's kind of my trade journal, my newsletter. So I just put that out there for those to see if they want to follow me and stuff, right? So that doesn't take that much time. You know, what took the time was learning the system and perfecting it and spending three years immersing in it and going through the losses and learning what I did wrong and putting it all together. That took the time. Um, the, uh, the misfit entrepreneur outside of that is where I spend a lot of my time 
because there's a lot of things that surround in this film. It's not just, um, you know, the, the podcast itself, but there's speaking that I do through it. There's other things that, um, you know, that, that happened now because of it. I have an event that I do with the gentleman by the name of Evan Money called Growth Live Revive that's really taken off and become very popular. You know, and that, that was kind of an offshoot of, of the uh, podcast and stuff like that. So there's a lot of things surrounding it. So um, more and more that's taking, you know, filling the time up, which is great. I love it. That's incredible. So moving forward, where do you see your life going? And I'm talking about big goals, like, like five, 10, 20 year goals. So here's the thing. I don't predict out and I don't plan for five, 10 or 20 years because I have no freaking clue what's going to happen in five, 10 or 20 years. Okay. Um, here's what I do know. I don't have any regrets. Because everything that had to happen had to happen exactly the way it did to get me here today. I mean, literally, a rock had to hit another rock in space correctly for me to be talking to you right now. A soldier took the wrong step on a battlefield throughout history. I'm not here. Um, and Hannah's story really resonates that and really solidifies that for me. Because we never should have had that child. Um, Hannah was actually, I'll give it to you real quick because it does dovetail with your question. Um, so Hannah... The way adoptions work is once you go through all the adoption paperwork and all the stuff and you're ready to adopt, they um, they release files to the world every month. And so those files come out and it's kind of first come first serve who's been in line, right? So for like five months, we didn't get to see uh, a file at all, right? And when you go through the process, one of the things you have to do for, in Hannah's case, she was what we call a waiting child, which means she has an ailment of some sort. She's not perfect in Chinese eyes, right? So we had to go through all these ailments that we would accept, heart conditions, you know, all kinds of these different things. And my wife saw that there was hyper and hypothyroid on the checklist. Okay, now that's a, a, a family member that has that. Uh, it's a, uh, you basically take a pill or regulate your thyroid gland either way, okay? It's pretty, you know, not something people think about. A lot of people have it, but not a, you know, not a, not a big deal at all. Our adoption counselor says to us, point blank, hyper and hypothyroid, we've never had a kid in like 40 years ever have that. And, uh, it, it, you know, you sure you want to check that? My wife, my wife goes, yeah, yeah, just keep it on there. We've got a family member, so on and so forth, right? So we go through all everything. We go through five months, things coming out to the world, right? And all of a sudden, we get a call out of the blue. It's the middle of September. Um, and we get a call out of the blue. Files had already been released for the month. And our adoption counselor says, we have a child for you. I'm like, what do you mean you have a child for us? The files have already been out and everything. She's like, well, we actually work directly with one orphanage in the whole country of China. It usually deals with older kids, but uh, this little girl was left underneath a bridge just down the block from it. So they took her there. And so she's grown up there. She's about a year old. Okay. Um, and, the only, and, and, and the only reason that I'm calling you is because she has hyperthyroid and you're the only people in our database in the whole world that popped up for her. And we said, well, send us the file and everything else. And you can imagine 10 seconds later, you know, we're like, yes, let's, you know, we need one before it. And so we go to China, we go through everything, we get Hannah, we bring her home, we go to all the doctors and everything else. And after about six months of testing and everything else, the doctor says, you know what, she was misdiagnosed. She doesn't have anything. She's perfectly healthy. Um, she wow. should have never even been in the waiting child program. She should have been in the healthy child program. And so when people ask me, why'd you go to China to get your daughter? I say, because that's where she was. Um, and it also, you know, if, if that doesn't, if that story doesn't tell you that there is, there is a, a higher power or something that's guiding us in this world, you know, or in this life, 
I, I don't know what does because there's no way that that child should have ever been ours. It was destined to happen exactly as it did. It never will. So life will continue to unfold like that for me in five, 10 or 20 years. I'm going to keep doing the things that I'm doing. I'm going to keep helping as many people as I can help show them, you know, the different ways that they can create the lives they want um, and help them learn things like I went through and was fortunate to learn from and, and find these amazing mentors that, you know, help me learn things that a lot of people never learn in their lives and, and put into practice and stuff. So my goal is to help people do that. And as long as I'm doing that in some way, shape or form, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be, I'll consider myself, you know, fairly lucky and successful. That's an incredible story. That is truly an incredible story. So, uh, you know, Dave, I really want to thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show today. Um, I actually just have a, just a few more questions for you. I really do appreciate your time. Um, the first one being, uh, is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that I did not ask you about today? In other words, what did I miss? Um, I don't think you missed anything. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that make up everybody in, in at different moments. You're, you're, you're different um, and need to be different. Right. So I think the, the biggest thing, and it probably counts understanding self is one of the things that really helped me to be successful, but you have to be willing to do it. And you have to be willing to make the changes and be okay to sit with yourself and say, Hey, you know, I'm messed up in this area. I need to fix it. Right. I need to change who I am and how I believe and how I think and how I, you know, treat people in this area or act or, you know, perceive, right? That's a big thing, I think, for anybody. And if you're willing to do that for yourself, you can really, you can do anything, right? Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't say that you didn't cover it. It's just something that for me was, was probably one of the biggest epiphanies and things in my life that really helped me to, to do the things that I've done. Fantastic. Fantastic. So uh, for everybody who's listening, I highly encourage you guys and gals to go back and listen a couple times, re-listen to this, re-watch this, and really, really hear what Dave has been saying because he's been dropping some serious value bombs and there are some things that can absolutely change your life. So I highly encourage you to go back through and listen a couple times. Um, now, Dave, for the for the people who they want to get more involved, they're fired up, yeah. they're feeling it, how do they uh, you know, take the next step with you? What's the next step for those people? So the best way to find me, um, misfitentrepreneur.com. You can go there. You can sign up for the podcast and then all the different mediums. I'm on all the uh, different uh, social networks. So either as Dave Lucas, L-U-K-A-S, or as Misfit Entrepreneur. So you can find me that way. If you're interested in learning more about the Growth Drive Revive event, we have our next one coming out in October of this year. Just go to www.growthriverevive.com. You can read all about it from there and everything as well. So um, we're doing it out uh, at the uh, Broadmoor, which is probably, it's in the middle of uh, Colorado Springs, right below Pikes Peak. It's probably the most beautiful hotel that I've ever been to. It's my, one of my favorites. And so I told Evan, we got to have one there. So it's, it's um, already got a lot of people that are signed up for it and stuff, and it's, it's limited to 25. So if you have an interest, go out, check it out. Um, it'll be filled up here probably within the next month or so, but um, really, really fun and uh, you know, really teach you a lot about how to grow as a person and uh, double your business. Fantastic. So everybody, again, I highly encourage you to go and check out the podcast, go and, and register for the event. 
Uh, as I understand it, there are very few spots left. So the time is a ticking. So make sure to take some action real fast and go register for that. Dave, I can't thank you enough. I really do appreciate your time today. Uh, you know, so many things I can, you know, I can only imagine how precious your time is. So thank you so much for that. Uh, right on cue. <laughs> so uh, for the next call. No, thank you guys so much for everything. Hey, that's what happens when it's live, right? Um, thank you so much. And thank you to you and the audience. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. I know there's a lot here. So if you ever have any questions or anything, want to reach out, you can reach out to me through the Misfit site. I read and respond to every question that I get from people personally. So um, if I can help in any way, let me know. Great. Fantastic. So uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you guys on the next episode. Have a great day. And don't forget to turn your dreams into reality. Let's do it. Have a good one.